Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined by fellow Dudley boy Michael Hamflit to discuss everything that went down on last night's show. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. We review Rampage, Dynamite, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, pay-per-views. We hold wrestler interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture Hamlet, it's a great time to be an aw fan it is and it has been for the longest time um last night's dynamite was a tremendous go-home show one of the best probably pay-per-view go-home shows they've done um they addressed a very specific criticism certainly i had and i guess you echoed partially on yesterday's preview about certain angles peaking at the right time or certain things feeling like all the necessaries had been done it didn't feel like that on last night's dynamite and if last week again, as they always are, was not only an aberration, it was also a reminder that you can kind of permit the company a duffer from time to time because they're only ever seven days away from a rebound like this. Yeah, I thought this was an absolutely incredible show. And what I loved about it is I'm pretty sure they've listened to the podcast last week and the preview <laughs> yesterday because it just felt like a more organic, immersive experience that wasn't grabby. I described it on the preview yesterday, last week's Dynamite, uh, that is, as a big ticker tape graphic at the bottom of the screen saying, buy the pay-per-view, buy the pay-per-view. This is what you'll see at the pay-per-view. And we are going to engineer the events of this show for one pretty contrived purpose. I got very little of that on tonight's show. I thought some of it was so detailed, so nicely done. I liked how certain things just existed in the TV space. That didn't really serve anything to do with the pay-per-view because if you go too hard, yet again, it feels contrived. These might be pedantic criticisms, but I think that the reaction to last night's episode compared to last week's episode basically means I'm right. Um, it was a very subtle experience in various areas, apart from the opening lines of commentary. Did you know that? Kazuchika Ricarda has <laughs> um, recruited best friends into chaos. You know, the great Kazuchika Ricarda, like they could scream it in my face and I'll still be happy to hear it because the um, implication or the explicit virtual announcement is that Ricarda is not going to be all elite because he's contracted to New Japan, but as part of the relationship, he's heading here shortly. Do you know what, right? 
fair play to them, I think, for that. Because wrestling like rarely knows. Wrestling wouldn't know subtlety if it were very unsubtly smashed it in the face. However, um, there is a, a kind of, I guess, a line that AEW needed to find. The coin drop in Okada's entrance music would have been a glass smash to a lot of AEW fans. It would have generated that immediate pop from a section of AEW's fans. But for a change... AEW were not assuming that of their audience, not just the television audience that get to have Excalibur tell you that Luther is the original death dealer or that's the butcher and the blade. But it is okay to assume that not everybody knows some of the wrestlers that walk through this forbidden door. And I agree with you, there was no subtlety this to like there was no subtlety compared to yesterday's little mentions of it. Like Okada and Ishii were kind of talked into existence by Tony Khan and Tony Schiavone on various like wrestling media appearances yesterday. But last night was the, I think, I wouldn't say it was perfect because you were beaten over the head with it, but it was one of the better cases of should have put that on Dynamite. Because if and when Okada does appear, there is reason for it, but there is also explanation. Like today, one person who might have never heard of Kazuchika Okada might have heard that name mentioned enough and might have heard it. Whoever Okada is, he likes Orange Cassidy, so he must be pretty cool, might have gone and done some YouTube in, and by tonight, they'll know of the lore of Kenny Omega, they'll know who this guy is to New Japan, and know of why it might be exciting to get him. They are working out the kinks in their introdu- introduction of strangers problem, and I admire that, even if, again, to some of us, it did feel like you were getting beaten over the head with it. Yeah, I can't disagree with that at all. And again, it's a bad faith criticism to a degree that they don't do... Um, enough to these mythical casual fans, but a tiny little bit of exposition. It's not as if they're telling you and not showing you a story beat or something. They're mm-hmm. just building someone as a big guy who's potentially got yeah. some future goings on. Of course, Rocky Romero is in chaos, and they've tied those two things together ahead of the uh, opening match, which was Rocky Romero versus Brian Danielson, heavily putting over, of course, that Danielson set to face Miro. And the implication was... They try to sell it as something like, was he a bit daft for taking this match because Romero's no mug mm-hmm. and et cetera, et cetera. It's one of those things where it's like, it's just an excuse to get Daniels on the show because he rules. But they made me bite on several things in this match, which was so beautifully, intricately worked. Um, Danielson won, of course, but it didn't really feel like that at certain points. And they did some wonderful technical exchanges early on. Some bigger spots materialized with the Tope Suicida. Um, a really fabulous running head scissors off the uh, ring steps. And then it settled into this quite glorious, immersive rhythm where every single risk taken, um, the backdrop suplex, I believe, was punished because if you left one body part vulnerable and it was the arm, Romero was on it like a pit bull. Just an incredibly believable match where I generally thought that there was no part of it where one guy wasn't really trying to hurt the other. Yeah, mistakes were made, but like good fictional mistakes, not botches, like just strategic errors, all of which were capitalized on. Uh, yeah, I generally thought this was very, very, very good. Didn't hit that elusive banger feeling for me, but I just had so much appreciation for the craft involved in this. On the subject of which, before I get your thoughts, the Tequila Sunrise put Rocky mm. Romero away. Just the rhythm of this match and the craft behind it. Danielson's just the absolute best. Yet another submission that he, at some point, can tease applying to someone and fans are going to bite. Second-to-second investment. Danielson's a king. What do you think? Uh, Just on that, very briefly, it's 
overt at this point. And that, dare I say it, is yet again more reason why just because we can be so effusive in our prayers of Brian Danielson that I'm a bit uncomfortable with using that as a stick to beat Daniel Bryan with. He became great in WWE as Daniel Bryan. And I don't like this prevailing narrative that we've got the guy back. He was, he was great before he became Daniel Bryan. Yes. But he was great as Daniel Bryan as well. As Daniel Bryan, that like you always called him the Vince Whisperer. There were there were tricks that he played that nobody has ever figured out how to play in WWE. And I and I don't like one thing negating the other. And I think we're seeing that here in this finisher thing. This finisher thing is no longer the hidden details of the early days of the Kenny Omega Hangman Page storyline. It's something that is happening every week. The, and again, casual passing. What I don't I don't like that terminology either. But ultimately, any fan watching AEW isn't just picking this up on the sly. They're being told to understand it, that Brian Danielson will beat you any way he wants so that it can be, it can like figure into loads of matches. And that's Brian. one of Brian Danielson's great values is that he understands the value of the overt, just as much of the stuff you need to pepper in and season your matches with. And I really love that because that's something that is, that's like teachable and coachable as well. That's uh, that's a value to the AEW locker room that translates some matches as well as the stuff Christian Cage teaches that doesn't always show itself in in matches. And I just I wanted to put that over from Brian because I think we're long past the point where this is a like a, a cool secret detail. This isn't one for the members club at this point, and that's awesome. And that's the benefit of a guy like him with such experience and a guy coming over that found a way to work his style like very much against type in WWE. And I, and I love that about him as well. That's like I mean that in the most complimentary of fashions. Um, I'm going to paraphrase one of the best promos in wrestling when I say this, um, but the Hamlet fans will forgive me for um, something I want to raise. Uh, we haven't shouted her out on the podcast yet. We have done it on Twitter for Haley um, at Gifted Pink for sending us uh, this box of awesome foodstuffs and things like that from America, treats for the office. I'm sure the guys on WrestleCult put, put her over as they stuff their faces with biscuits that we don't get in the weekly rotation, by the way. We need to change the like sort of change the rules there. I don't know why they're all the biscuits are isolated for Fridays. I don't know how they've done that. We haven't made a gimmick of it yet. Like they're uh, all absolute shameless <laughs> well, who are working gifts into podcasts. We're just silly and we do things like insights. Right. Ah, uh, is that so what we're going wrong? We need to do more gimmicks and say, oh, you know what? I would love, I would love like a really nice, strong 8% IPA when I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> well, I'm not the type of person to work gimmicks into my insights, um, which is why I was grateful that she sent cereal for me to eat while I watched uh, Dynamite Lit. Um, it's not a fucking gimmick. I am not Michael Sidgwick in the kitchen. I like quick sugar rushes when I'm staying up late to watch wrestling. Night cereal is that. And thank you for sending some real-life earnest Canadian, not even American, uh, Fruit Loops, which I enjoyed with my Dynamite last night. But maybe the less sugar content of the Canadian ones was at fault for me falling asleep in this match and for the first time in ages not watching a Dynamite Live. And to bring that back to the analysis, um, I loved this, but I would put it on the lower end of the Brian Danielson matches thus far. Um, I don't blame him for falling asleep. It was probably because one of my kids had me up at five o'clock and it was 1 a.m. in the morning UK time. Um, but this, as great as it was, didn't quite have the excitement that I've become accustomed to in that dynamite opener, the type of opener that leaves you just absolutely buzzing for the next hour 45. That is perhaps me grading Daniel Bryan on a steep curve compared to the curve with which we grade every WWE match. Um, I didn't think this was in the upper echelon. It was nice to see, um, it was nice to see Rocky Romero 
wrestle a match that is going to get him credit that he doesn't always get from yeah. some stuff he's done with New Japan over the years. Um, I, I, look, I'm guilty of this. I think of Rocky Romero as much as a terrific commentator as I do wrestler at this point because of what he's offered in that part of his role in New Japan. But even New Japan, he's not booked to really have matches like this. They just profile him for who he is. Uh, much of this is kind of best kept secret stuff. And it was, you know, you're wrestling in the opener on AEW Dynamite. That's not best kept secret. That's being allowed to show yourself. And I'm glad he got that in a thoroughly enjoyable, if not thrilling match. Um, it set the table very nicely for a night of great in-ring action. But it was far from the best of the best of the bunch on this Dynamite. Yeah, I mean, I think we've got similar thoughts there. But there was one moment where, so I was just quite, I was more like purring than I was standing and pacing watching this, which I think is a nice way of putting it. What an Oregon prick I can be at times. <laughs> bit where I was like jolted upright, almost pumping the fist with that sort of total mark electricity, where um, the second attempt at the sliced bread number two running one was reversed with the um, grabbing the hands and doing the foot stomp spot. That mm. was absolutely incredible counter from an absolutely incredible wrestler and um, from incredible wrestler to genuinely great angle and um, my f- favorite of the bunch i think because after that match one with the tequila sunrise after being slut shamed called the worst thing you can be which is you know not straight Ugh, get in the fucking bin with that <laughs> american top team finally discovered that that wall across which Chris Jericho says some kind of lame things almost 70% of the time. It's not, in fact, invisible. Is it? Is it a little bit generous to say that they were just lying in wait this whole time to get the advantage, knowing, oh, you can say all this for weeks on end, but we've got this up with sleeves. That's maybe generous because I just think they indulge Chris Jericho in his lame standard routine at times. Yeah. And you have to have an invisible wall there to facilitate that. But anyway, the invisible wall was not invisible tonight. When Judas was cut off, brilliantly, Yeah, I add, American top team just kicked the piss out of all of them. <laughs> Dos Santos did the Agogo spot, which I like calling it the Agogo spot because I feel like his name should be kept in the conversation because that was yeah. such a wicked punch to Cody's stomach. But Dos Santos did it to one of the members of the inner circle. It was chaotic in the best way, so I can't quite recall it. Can we say that Ogogo has canonized that real fighters hit harder? Because I yeah. like that as part yeah. of like an EW law. That that's if you if you're coming in there against a boxer or an MMA guy, it's okay for them to have the power of the punch because it's okay for you to then lock them in a like a wrestling move, like a suplex. You're gonna yeah. have a better snap suplex and they're gonna have a better punch. Yeah, absolutely. So this whole angle was great. It peaked at the end, which is what all storytelling and pro wrestling storytelling should do. One little thing I want to bury and take the piss out of before we get to the very best bit at the end. They all got the only bad part of this angle was that they all kind of to facilitate the last bit. They all had to sell for kind of longer than they ordinarily would. Mm. take i mean these are weapon shots from mma guys so it's probably fine i'm overthinking it but um not chris jericho he was the one who was allowed to get up a little bit twice (laughs) Uh, he was put back down it's like come on he takes a little bit more than that to kick my ass god damn it and uh yeah i just i was a little bit amused by that and i respect it i love watching stars do stuff yeah yeah. (laughs) i love that um lionhurst Lion, very good. The little tricks that these fuckers do to make themselves appear. And, you know, he's the star of the bloody act, of course. It's absolutely fine. Anyway, it all goes back into the ring, um, at which point Dan Lambert sets up a table, ascends the top turnbuckle, and does 
nothing to actually execute <laughs> the power bomb on Jericho through the table. It was all the work of the men of the air, but because he's the great deluded heel that he is, he celebrates wildly. Um, Scorpio Sky grabs the mic, talks trash on the inner circle, promises victory, all the rest of it, and uh, says that you got laid out by Dan Lambert. And not only that, he's going to tap you out as well. Of course, it's actually Scorpio Sky moving Jericho's hand. And Dan Lambert, in the best possible use of one of my favorite tropes, the talent does commentary bit, which I love, decides to say, no, it's not the walls of Jericho, you idiot. <laughs> It is Rocky Johnson's 1975 Boston Crab from Championship Wrestling from Florida. Brilliant. Oh, God. Not since bloody um, Hiromu Takashi, like, returned from injury, have I loved mention of 1975 on a wrestling show quite so much. Unreal stuff from Dan Lambert here. Um, yeah, this was terrific. In, in many ways, this was my, like, favourite moment from this entire feud because... Yes, the Judas cut off, which has been overdue, by the way. Like, maybe I'm maybe I'm being unkind now and you just credit them for waiting for the right moment, but there's probably been a few times where they could have used the Judas cut off. Maybe this was the perfect chorus. It, yeah, like, this was. <laughs> there's been plenty of times where you could have deployed it, but they've finally done it, so I've got to, like, let them off at long last. Um, and that was where so much of the heat came from here. This didn't feel as molten as some of those other inner circle American top team I guess like promo jousts. This wasn't like this wasn't as fiery in terms of atmosphere as them, but in terms of a heat segment, I think it may be the best ever on the inner circle. Outside of the Pinnacles formation, I don't think the Pinnacle ever had a heat segment on the inner circle as good as this. Like they were beat down. That shot when, as you sort of pointed out, like the inner circle were forced to sell while Jericho was in the ring fighting back. But they were so scattered. There was an ugliness to the way that the inner circle were left laying on the ramp. It wasn't, it didn't look nice for television. You could like, you could only make out a leg of somebody and there's somebody down where you're counting the bodies and you can't even see them all because they've been decimated by the group. And that made the heat feel real. And even then, I thought there was a little bit of a dig in this. Um, that the Wars of Jericho was obviously something that they would have discussed. Dan Lambert cut the promo. Great, great stuff. You know, and as we talked about Jericho, he's not letting himself look weak unless he gets final sign off on absolutely everything. You know that there's going to be red ink over these Jericho things every week until he's happy with it. Um, who this week has made himself the butt of a lot of gags by saying that AEW doesn't know enough about the heat? It's Bully Ray. And they gave Dan Lambert the Bully Ray spot for the big heat segment on yes. Dynamite. The powerbomb through the table. Like, I, Great take. I sniffed out a little bit of a dig there. It's like, come on, guys. What about the heat? Page has got to lose. You're not beating down your guys enough. It's like, all right, we'll beat him down with your exact thing. How, how do you like that? Like, I await them trying to uh, fail at taking our top spot on a podcast review this very episode. Uh, download what culture, wherever you get your podcasts. It's... Just a, a really great beatdown on a set of baby faces that, like, to be honest, of all the pay-per-views that I've been rooting for a Chris Jericho defeat, this doesn't have to be one of them. I'm looking for somebody to run Jericho out of AW for a bit because he has to go. He's got a tour to attend to. But, uh, like, this sort of has set up the baby faces getting a nice triumph. And too often with these inner circle feuds, and Jericho specifically, I've wanted him to lose for reasons outside of the angle. Here, I kind of want, and it should be led by Sammy, obviously. Um, Guevara should be the one to triumph on this. He's not defending his title at the pay-per-view, so instead you give him a showcase like you did at Stadium Stampede. But I'm I'm rooting for the good guys. 
I'm rooting for the... And they're not even good. That's the Jericho's a bit of a dick at the minute, to be honest, but it just makes perfect sense in the parameters of the storyline. This is the one where the good guys just absolutely have to win because otherwise, like every other WWE, uh, AEW fan outside of us will be really pissed because they are massively into the inner circle. We <laughs> outliers, and we can admit that in our objective analysis. Um, before we get to the next match, a very small or very short, rather, video package aired that you loved. So take us through why you loved it. It was um, hyping the Statlander versus Ruby Soho TBS title tournament match. I just thought this was great because what a video package, it's not all that it exists to do, but a video package obviously is there to get you hyped for a match. And I don't know if I'm an outlier here or if this is like a hot take and I don't ever aim for like controversy or anything like that. I'm not so sure Ruby Soho has been at it yet in in ring, strictly in ring. She feels like a star. The entrance music choice was inspired. She carries herself brilliantly. Like, And this promo showed you that. This promo showed you that Ruby Soho is everything that people want from her as a member of this women's division. This kind of still ailing back against the wall women's division is that you have somebody that feels like a huge deal. This video package promoted to me a match in which Chris Statlander theoretically could be made by hanging with a star. She doesn't like I'm watching this through wrestling fan eyes. She doesn't need to win this. If she can just level up to go in hold for hold with Ruby Soho, she'll be a bigger star off the back of it. Cause she certainly felt like that from like the two of them getting serious. This wasn't like, this wasn't a case of the boop versus somebody that's looking for an opportunity in Ruby Soho. There was none of that sense of, oh, I'm here to make a difference in AEW. Like, Ruby Soho wasn't taking anything. Like, what was the line? Respect inch or whatever it was. That was her doing away with any of the, the pomp of her arrival in AEW. This is right. Time to get serious. And because I've not seen that in the matches, I was sold it in the promos that I'm ready to give everything another try. And I just think that's... Like, this gets lost. You, you've you said this before. Promo. Why do we call it a promo? It's to promote something. Video packages operate in exactly the same way. And you've taken something. This TBS tournament has been so perfect in its construction and yet not in its execution, probably outside of Deeb and Shida, I guess, in terms of match quality and what you do for the rest of the tournament. We've not yet, outside of them, seen, like, this tournament classic. And now I've been sold that we might get it here. And I think that's like a tremendous tribute. WWE have dined out on it for years. A tremendous tribute to the people that make the video packages because I'm bang game into seeing this. And like, I'm all on the hook all over again for seeing Ruby Soho. Give us the match that a lot of people have told me she's absolutely capable of. Yeah, no, I agree. I liked the video package a lot. I'm going to be a little bit kinder to Ruby Soho because I thought the closing exchanges in the Casino Battle Royale with Thunder Rosa were A, excellent and be indicative of the fact that she probably needs a better class of opponent people are with her people yeah. are really with her and i think that that counts for a hell of a lot and it should it really should as well i personally think that you know not everyone can be this incredible brian danielson figure who can carry people but maybe ruby soho just needs a better dance partner because she got one in thunder rosa and that was great um at the pay-per-view um what followed was something that i and virtually everybody else with half a brain could have laid out almost beat for beat and move for move the thing that they kind of had to do, all very functional, and yet I had loads of time for it. It was uh, Ty Conti, Thunder Rosa, Anna Jay versus Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter, and Rebel. We were both um, kind of along similar lines on the preview yesterday where we liked 
the looming shadow, shadow, shadow from Boston all of a sudden. <laughs> looming shadow, Donna Rosa. And uh, <laughs> I can't do accents. I can I can do them by mistake when I'm misspeaking, but I can't actually do them when I'm trying. Anyway. Hey, thunder. Hey, thunder. Hey, thunder. In the shadow of thunder. Um, yeah, the last couple of weeks, I love the the intent behind the clumsy execution of trying to get Thunder Rosa involved because it made Conti look like a dick. None of this happened. It was a glimpse of the long-term and the short-term future, both of which were great. The little exchange between Rosa and Britt Baker was so crisp and smooth and tense, and it only lasted for about 10 seconds, but I was like, they've got a match that isn't necessarily a plunder brawl in them. And I thought, yes, great. Give me that at some point. But I also want Conti versus Britt Baker more than I did before I watched this match because it was obviously laid out to flatter her completely. She looked completely on fire. Her strikes looked great. Just the propulsion across the ring looked great. And what I was most impressed with beyond, of course, that incredible now trademark Jamie Hater takes a crossbody block bump. Yes. Unbelievable. Give her reps. Please send her to Japan if you're not going to use her. Give it Tanahashi. And now, if you're not going to use her frequently on TV, don't waste it because we've had a little bit of rot. Not, we won't name names yet. There might be a podcast in it of AEW talent who need to get on the goddamn road. They need to do a loop somewhere. Hate is one of them, and I only advocate for that because I want to see her get better because she's awesome. Yeah. Um, but beyond that and the opening exchanges between uh, Rosa and Baker and Ty Conti's fire-up spot, what I was so impressed with was Ty Conti isn't winning this title, right? She isn't winning the title on Saturday. Dot, 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 I don't think because she wore the absolute opposite of a boo-boo face here. She looked like I'm winning this title on Saturday and there's nothing you can do about it. I was so impressed with her facial expressions here that I was somewhat, somewhat swayed that the outcome might be different. Uh, just to recap, everyone's seen it, but Conti obviously um, pins Reba, not Rebel, as everyone predicted, and yet it wasn't predictable obligatory filler. Yeah. Um, I don't know, you know, I like... I didn't hate the match. I didn't love it either. Um, truthfully, um, I've been forced to think that take on might. They didn't get that for me personally. Like I, I just felt like I could see the wires, and that is not the fault of the performers. It's the fault of this being too little, too late. Um, if you don't, if you don't do the foundational stuff well, you can't guarantee that you're going to be able to cheat it at the last. And ultimately, that's what this was for me. It's like, it's it wouldn't be even be fair to call it a make good. This angle has existed. It's been in the ether, but at no point has there been enough like depth of field with the story to make me think that like you get a big go home win. Maybe just maybe. Like if anything, and this was ultimately why I would consider this match a success is that it has shown me, um, and this there's maybe a, a podcast in this actually one of the issues with the long-term title program ideas for AEW because they treat titles seriously. Um, it showed me care and attention paid to Thunder Rosa um, in the same way that we've had care and attention paid to Hangman Page that's perhaps been at the expense of some of Kenny Omega's title matches. I wonder if that's uh, uh, there's, there's a, an issue here of how exactly you build the very obvious B challenges 
when your A challenger is so nailed on. Thunder Rosa came across like a massive star here. And she's one of several of the the women that clearly in an even-handed organization towards this division would a Serena Deeb, a Thunder Rosa, the type of wrestler that would be on next week's show because it is impossible not to build on that momentum. The crowd, by the noise that was made for Thunder Rosa on entrance and everything she did, that's a like a call to arms, isn't it, for a wrestler? That's a that's a kind of like one of the objective measures that you've got to say, please give us more of her. And AEW know what they're doing with her. They know that Britt Baker, Thunder Rosa is the match, but we just don't know when we're going to get it. And I think... I don't know. I don't want to sit here and say, don't tell long-term stories because that's what gets us so fired up and excited for something like full gear this weekend. That's what gives you just the most immense trust in um, the process at large and indeed in various other storylines where they're doing a good job of it. But maybe there is something to how do you show who the eventual opponent is, but then obscure them? Like whoever, whoever CM Punk's guy is, and it could be MJF, but I actually think it's somebody further on than that. They're obscuring that person, and thus you're allowed to enjoy CM Punk's week-to-week long-term stuff. In the case of Rosa, I, like, I'm struggling to receive these Britt Baker feuds in execution because there's clearly an opponent for her. The thing is, I will say this just to sort of not be entirely critical of all of this, Britt Baker's great when the pressure's on. So I actually think this match could be a bit of a sleeper for full gear um, because it was all out, wasn't it? Yes, Britt Baker's title defense was a sleep hit of all out on a card where Christ, there was so much they were competing with. And that was a bit of a sleep hit. So I think it could be again. She does often shine brightest when she needs to, under pressure, under the gun. Um, but I uh, there's there's maybe something systemic there that they need to look at of you've done such a good job of setting up the the obvious end result that how do you make those steps a bit more enticing and a bit more engaging? Yeah, no, I agree. Just to clarify, I don't think that. Uh, Conti stands a chance. I think she thinks she stands a chance, mm, yeah. which is uh, an important distinction, which will help my investment in the match itself. Up next into the match, Jungle Boy versus Anthony Bones. I was rather impressed with this. It won't trouble match of the air lists by any sort of uh, distance whatsoever. But Bowens. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Resonated to me in this match 
which he got the advantage in the heat spot through Max Caster, thereby protecting Jungle Boy. This is what we liked about it as well. I know I'm all over the place. Bear with me. Is that it's one of the first times, and what a perfect time to do it, where Jungle Boy, having played the role of a Bowens, just on the other side of the um, babyface heel spectrum, this was the match where Jungle Boy gives somebody else the rub, or you look good for getting a little bit more in on Jungle Boy. And what I've got from this match, which wasn't groundbreaking, we know the execution of a acclaimed singles match. It's just a spring in Bones' step now that he's been given two consecutive TV taping opportunities, and he's gone for it. He looks far more like mobile, spring. Mm bit more confident he's introducing more things to his arsenal um he lost like a good length 10 minute match um with a snare trap and i think they were nice to give him a little bit because it's been kind of built as like an instant tap out but bowens was a little bit like i'm gonna try and not just be this little brash loud mouth prick that i'm playing and try and fight through it he succumbed about four seconds after getting put in it ensnared in it if you like but this is genuinely i thought really really impressive on an individual and match layout level yeah um totally agree with that. i love this the canonized four pillar stuff mjf making that canon canon on uh, with his promo later on um, has more importance than just to build feuds between the pillars themselves. The, it falls to those four men to have matches like this more than it does have matches where they're elevated, as you say. Jungle Boy now, these are as important as the eventual victories over the, the big stars that confirm him as one of the key players because you're a pillar now. And we said this a little bit when Daniel Garcia was having his short run. AEW is so great developmentally that what it does is it it doesn't make you bored of the existing four pillars, but it gets you excited about the next four. So you're not sort of saying, ah, Jungle Boy, old news, ancient old bastard, because we've got Daniel Garcia and he's like two years younger or what, you know, whatever it is. It just makes you realize, well, that has already been super effective at establishing these guys. So now we get to see the next one's coming through and they're going to do the exact same thing. But it now falls to a Jungle Boy to have a match just like this. Those first tests where they've got to be, they have to be the up and comer against the existing top line. They have to be the generals against the ones below them. And that's no mean feat. And I thought Jungle Boy was excellent at playing the, like the general here. And Anthony Bowens, I think that's a great point about like the confidence that you can instill in a wrestler just by giving them like two big matches across two big shows. When we know that these Rampage and Dynamite, not always the case, but most of the Rampage and Dynamite slots have to be earned like unless your name's Matt Hardy. So the he knows what this represents. He knows that this is a nod from the boss. And over those two singles matches, this has sold me a different version of the acclaimed. Um, I will take Max Caster as the managerial mouthpiece to Anthony Bowens, the, the better wrestler. And that's not to particularly dig out Max Caster. I'm just seeing a different act to the acclaimed all of a sudden. It's a bit like how Jim Ross used to tell you that Billy Gunn's the best pure athlete in the WWF because he wanted the road dog to ultimately be his manager. The outlaw yeah. was an overact. And we're gonna get the we're gonna get Billy going over without splitting them up, and then they can split them up anyway, and they ruined it. Um, this doesn't need that. Probably a more recent example is probably Vince McMahon having stars in his eyes for Big Cast, and then thinking, well, the way to progress him is to split them up. When in reality, the way was probably just to keep Enzo by him, running his mouth because Cast wasn't necessarily that talker, but he was this this raw talent. I see that here, and AW is more competent promotion, so I could see 
real progression for Bowens without needing to sacrifice a single thing about what you claimed are. Yes, you can move them back into the tag division whenever the hell you want, and they're a perfect act to beat as a unit. But I'm feeling something in this like singles wrestler manager dynamic that they're starting to develop. It's funny you say that because we are about five minutes away from discussing at least five more guys that we can yeah. say that exact take with. Oh, I want to see more of them. I can see them improving. They've maximized their minutes to use an old Jim Ross maxim. Um, but before we get to that, there's an actual, uh, there's actually an angle that followed uh, Bones versus Jungle Boy, in which Bobby Fish comes out and kills Jungle Boy. And it looks awesome. Like, I wish we could swear on here, but I would just be ripping off Brian Alvarez. I know you will not talk about our takes on Alvarez, but he's, <laughs> A way of saying you need dumped damn right in his fucking head and it just makes it sound awesome and more brutal than it is and yeah bobby fish does this with the exploder suplex into the ropes like jungle boys like neck accordion absolutely great and um, christian cage and luchasaurus make the save and um, following which like a really good kenny omega versus hangman video promo ed but if we discuss it like i'm saving all of my hangman omega stuff until the main event because i'm going to be here until three o'clock we are recording at 10 past 11. um so continuing on from the bobby fish beatdown of uh jungle boy the super click are caught celebrating uh said beatdown backstage and cool and i love the idea of this becoming a thing but I had problems with the execution of the actual backstage segment. Cole introduces Fish to the Young Bucks. Mm-hmm. I was watching Ring of Honor about three or four years ago. None of this makes a lick of sense. And it's so weird because that version of Ring of Honor should surely resonate far more with fans of AEW because they were watching the Elite basically be the best bit of Ring of Honor for two years before they kind of formed from what became Ring of Honor's ashes. Mm. So I know that the Young Bucks know Bobby Fish wrestled them loads. <laughs> like, they've wrestled them a lot. And yeah. Cole was there at the time. And yet, we were entrusted to know who Homicide is. <laughs> yeah. a bit of a dissonance there. And you hated the pun, but we both, I think, really like all kinds of intrigue in terms of the sprawling directions this could take. Yeah, they worked far too hard on that. There's no disputing that this is the era of the elite or whatever it was. They worked far too hard on that and still didn't come up with the right outcomes. They probably just should have left alone. We've both been in that position as writers when you're trying so hard to craft something and it just won't come and you're like, I'm going to have to give up on this one. They yeah. should they should, like, again, they should have just left that unsaid for the sake of getting some sort of cheesy line out there. I had a slightly different read on that Young Bucks Bobby Fish introduction. I thought that was intentionally wanky super click stuff where they kind of, you know, like, it's no-sell everything. Like, one of the biggest dickhead. We've all worked with people who pretend to no-sell stuff, and there's nothing more dickheaded than that, right? And I think that's, like... I don't know, like to me, if you're, if this is a workplace, as we say, like an emulation of a sport, like if this is a workplace, the young bucks walking around, the super click walking around, no selling everything, taking nothing seriously is one of their more irritable qualities backstage in, in that, in these hidden corridors where people attack and interrupt. And I thought what this was, was when they were like, yeah, we know he is, we know he is. I actually thought this was some really deep cut of we saw him on NXT when we were winning the war. There was still no selling the Ring of Honor period, or I'm assuming these guys came together in PWG as well. Is that right? Like, PWG law isn't as strong as my Ring of Honor law. 
But like, you know for a fact that these two have got plenty of pairings on cage match. And I was thinking like, yeah, we saw him on the other channel. We know what's happening there. Like they're, they're no selling the fights more than they're no selling who they know Bobby Fish as. And I, yeah, of course, what I could visualize here was Bobby Fish as the aide to the super click right now until Adam Cole is done with him, gives him a super kick. Thanks very much for your help. Don't need it anymore. And Bobby Fish is saved by Kyle O'Reilly and we get Red Dragon versus the Young Bucks. Yeah, so like that, that was there for you to infer, was it not? Yeah, absolutely. There's like just a million directions it could take. I've, uh, that would, there's Rushmore stuff to happen as well, like potentially. Well, I, like, I, like, like, I'm sure I've, I know I've said this to you, but I'm, I might have said it on another podcast at this point. Um, not like for like comparisons, because everybody knows what comparison you then have to make. But Cole, Danielson, Punk, and Bobby Fish as the Perry Saturn or Dean Malenko take your pick of these radicals coming Perry. over. To, coming, yeah, we'll say Perry Saturn. Coming over to AEW um, when the product's that hot as it was in 2000 WWF. Everybody gets over. Everybody fits in. Everybody works. Bobby Fish. Like, there is a reason why a, a take that is completely valid is, God, I wish they would sign for AEW. They would be good. Like, can you think of a better example of that than Bobby Fish getting over and functioning and working as well as he's done so far? There is a reason to dance away. Following that, <laughs> and Eddie Kingston's uh, promo was recapped. Fabulous. Like, yeah. it wasn't, um, it was edited, of course, but you got the main beats, you got the facial expressions, you got, like the great lines in it fine great answer a criticism and give people um a reason to buy the pay-per-view at the exact same time do you know as well um they of, of everything that was established in that awesome rampage promo come fight this aired and look there's already stuff that we've acknowledged on this show and there's more to come the aw remain really plugged in to online discussion because online discussion is the same as man in the street discussion now when we need to get away from this wrestling internet as a separate thing um the focus on punk calling eddie kingston a bum and yes i know that was like one of the inciting moments of the rampage promo but this coming 24 hours after the players tribune piece got so much play again it's not just in our bubble that did the rounds that was a that was a different eddie kingston that we got to hear about just days after eddie kingston is not a bum He's not a fucking bum, no matter how he dresses or no matter how Punk felt in that moment of anger. And I love that that was focused upon as a barb as sharp as anything that any wrestler could have said about another. I love that, like, the timing of focusing upon that in a video as being this inciting incident after that article just feels so potent and so powerful. It's It was a bit of a prick move on Friday. It's outright wrong on a Wednesday and I love how much more power that's taken on. Eddie Kingston is not a bum. No, he's not, and neither's Wardlow. God damn it, the squash. <laughs> it was like six moves, considerably fewer minutes, so in two botches, which isn't good. But it was still awesome. Like it's still awesome. Um, basically, really, uh, try to get an opening shine. Very ironic because he stumbles, but Wardlow seamlessly, mm. instinctively which is the best way to do this sort of thing, just went, all right, okay, well, you've just helped my cause. I'm going to absolutely rattle your spine with a spine buster. Yeah. Absolutely great. To the point where I'm thinking, was he, he was probably going to catch him and do the spine buster from there, but just great instincts to go, right, well, he's vulnerable. I'll just do it even quicker than I was going to. Um, <laughs> well, 
wrestling's supposed to be real. It's supposed to yeah, be exactly. real. Like, sometimes I love it when it's a bit more warty than it is like clean. This is a great example of that. It destroys them with about like four power bombs, one mm. of which potentially was like petitioned for by the crowd, which is great yes. given what we know of uh, Wardlow's future. Botches the casualty of war. I don't care because seconds beforehand, I'm gutted at the prospect of not being able to say this because it's a swear word. Can we please um, collaborate on you beeping? You just shout beep when I say it. Okay. Because I feel like I really, I just, I need to say it. I've right. got this compulsion. And it's like the six-year-old in me who was like shaking things because I wanted to be the ultimate warrior or whatever is the 36-year-old me. I'll try. I'll do my best here. Because I love Wardlow. Because I love Wardlow. He's great. He kills him with a power bomb. Does the straps thing, and it's awesome. And then, pretty much to the hard camera, it's great. Just shouts, who's the fucking <laughs> man? Great. Absolutely great. He looks like someone who just is so confident in his abilities to kill people. Mm-hmm. It's the best dumb jock imaginable. And uh, then there's some bollocks with the Hardy family office uh, building towards a match that very few people want to see with Orange Cassidy. But forget about that. Wardlow rules. This was great. Um, yeah, very important ingredient of giving the people what they want because Wardlow, in giving the fans anything, is yet again reminding people that he's there's a, there's a decent guy underneath this monstrous husk who is being paid to be awful by MJF. I love that. Um, this was the comparisons are apt to Batista and Triple H for a lot of reasons, but this that sort of thing was exactly what helped separate Batista from Triple H. The spring up from those spine busters and the like, the power bombs was so for the people that the turn became undeniable. The pulling the pulling away from the oppressor became undeniable, and that is what Wardlow is doing by giving the people something, and not just that. Um, again, I'm probably just, this is just generous and I'm probably reading things that aren't there, but AEW is a company that allows you to do that and this is fun, so we should embrace the fun. Who else has been um, listening to the crowd and then repeating a move just because he enjoys it? CM Punk. CM in Punk, the guy that's being quite clearly set up as a major MJF rival down the road. And is it that there are other people that are finally getting in Wardlow's ear other than the guy that is unfortunately, you know, paying his bills as we know, and the guy that's paying his bills and taking the piss out of him at the same time and not keeping him in on um, keeping him in on plans that we saw a couple of weeks ago. So I love that one of the joys of a Wardlow squash, other than the absolute battering and the pulling of the straps, is that you know that an element of it is going to be tied to the the wider arc, and that is fun. Um, I on Matt Hardy and Orange Cassidy, it's sort of this is this. I know this is generous because I can't be asked to watch it, but it's sort of the perfect rampage match because this dynamite. It'll do another hour, I think, you know. Well, this dynamite was such a good go home show that you forgot that there's actually another hour of television before full gear. Um, that this doesn't need to exist as part of the um, full gear, like kind of the full gear build or anything like that. That kind of makes it a perfect Rampage thing. It's like, uh, if you can be arsed with Rampage, we've got this that doesn't remotely relate to the pay-per-view. So just treat yourself. Just enjoy it as the throwaway content it is. Um, Or, of course, I'm underselling all of this. And uh, Big Money Matt is interrupted by a richer wrestler in the Rainmaker saving his Chaos Stable, mate. God. Oh, oh, God. (laughs) You've ruined my frigging day. Up next, 
This is great. I think I enjoyed it realistically more for what it wasn't than for what it actually was, because what it was was a pull apart in a parking lot between CM Punk and Eddie Kingston. I just love the idea that they hate each other so much and they've not got over what happened on Friday. They are both. Yeah, I love it when you can get a glimpse. It sounds stalkerish, but it's not. It's just my level of um, investment. It's the idea that there's an interior life in these characters and that you can see it on screen, that you can believe in them. Just the idea that they've been stewing on this for the last four days of their lives. Like, it's ruining the day. They're lashing out at people who they are really close with because they just can't get this one thing out of their heads. And they don't wait to do an interview and interrupt it. Mm. They just hate each other in the ring, in the backstage area, and everywhere in the world. It was okay in itself. It mostly existed to put across the idea that these two men hate each other still. When the cameras stop rolling, it's not a show to them. This is real life sort of thing. Um, but I don't necessarily think it was totally necessary or iconic or out like that. I just like the implication. The implication. Yeah, I, I got a few scattered thoughts on this. Um, I loved that. Like, I like seeing commitment in these things. You know, um, one of my issues, people love pull-aparts, and I, and I get why people love pull-aparts, because sometimes they're so energetic and frantic, and wrestling sometimes struggles to manufacture that, and pull-aparts are one of the easiest ways to do it. I hate the pull-aparts where it doesn't really feel like the wrestlers are being held back, and it feels more like a show. Look, we give WWE enough grief, so we'll give them credit when they get it right. Maybe the best pull-apart ever is Tyson and Austin because it takes 400 bodies to stop those men fighting and you just see arms and legs flailing everywhere. You know, like the... It's so vivid. Sorry to interrupt. I know it's rude, but the force with which Mike Tyson shoves Austin oh, to the mat. I'm thinking, he's hit him too hard here. Yeah. He's hit him too hard. He looks a little bit weak. And then, of course, it just gets salvaged. Like, that probably is the gold standard. You know, and and it had to be. But um, there's been some other really good ones. This this wasn't on that tier, but it was just the point I was going to make was Eddie Kingston looking like a Steve Bruce FIFA animation running across that car park to try, try and get to him. Like he wasn't holding back on his sprint. He was running as fast as he could yeah. to get to CM Punk. So no matter what you thought of the pull apart, like he's going full pelt to get to him. So yes, wrestlers sometimes hold me back, hold me back. Not there in the moment. Like, what was Kingston going to do if he got there? He was going to have to hit him. So yeah. I loved his commitment to that. I really did like it. This is going to sound like I'm chasing Utopia, but I like to chase Utopia from a product that every now and then approaches it. One of your best criticisms of WWE and often um, best moments of praise for AEW is that this is the emulation of a real night. Somewhere on this card after this, I would have loved them to have been caught on the hop. Oh, we're, um, this was supposed to be Eddie Kingston and CM Punk's time, but it's why, why were they at work? Is what I'm saying. Why yeah. they, like, it was never established why these two. You said they've been stewing on it and they've come to work and it's got in the way of whatever they were supposed to do. At no point in the show did we find out what it was they were supposed to do. I would have loved it if you could have had. Um, and AW have done this before, which is why I'm picking on it. Like they're really good with the attention to detail. Uh, I don't have an angle off the top of my head, so let's just say something with Taz because he's awesome. Um, let's just say Taz interrupts the broadcast and he says, uh, 
I know this was supposed to be CM Punk and Eddie Kingston's time, but they're just a couple of bitches, so I'm taking this now. And then he puts over Ricky Starks or, you, you know, something like that. Like, I wish they'd have acknowledged that these two were there for some other reason than to set up this parking lot brawl. Because mystified member of the production unit who was going to capture something for the countdown or something like that. Uh-huh. Like, like we're going to do some promos, but like they're not in the right headspace. So yeah, just that. Sarah, that Sarah right. work, yeah. Then you imagine that 10 minutes of television time has been allocated to what they're going to do tonight. And that 10 minutes is now free. And I would have loved it if AEW would have acknowledged. Like you, you, obviously it's inbuilt. You find 10 minutes of space for something else and you acknowledge, well, we were supposed to hear from Eddie Kingston and CM Punk, but they couldn't be held back. Let's go to, you know, like, because they've done stuff like that before. And I wish that was what maybe took away from the realism of this after the fact. Yeah, no, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't strictly necessary. I just enjoyed the fact that it wasn't part of the broadcast. There's mm. been a little bit of a theme throughout, and I just enjoyed the fact that they've uh, maintained that thread. Up next, my mind was absolutely blown by this. I wouldn't even put it on like a four-and-a-half-star level because I think they've got something absolutely tremendous, even better than this, in their locker. But probably in terms of flattering undercard attractions with kind of minimal time, I think this only went eight minutes. Oh. My mind was goddamn blown by this. What a resourceful, exhilarating, and purpose-serving eight minutes of television this was. Unbelievable. And we're, of course, talking about Leo Rush and Dante Martin uh, versus Matt Seidel and Lee Moriarty. My God. Take I said in the office, and it's fantastic. So I'm going to uh, parrot it here. I'm watching the open exchange, opening exchange rather between Lee Moriarty and uh, Dante Martin. And uh, I'm thinking... It's unfair enough on all of his peers, or like the people who are way older than him, in fact, who are going to struggle to compete with this guy's TV time. It's unfair enough that Dante Martin is the next Ray Phoenix. He's also the next Zack Sabre Jr. <laughs> How phenomenal was he on the mat here? Yeah. Him and Lee Moriarty in the impulsive moment of how, like, the rush of this. I compared it to the low-key Amazing Red Matrix Minute. It will probably be nowhere near as transformative in terms of how to structure a match as that spot was. It's probably not as good. But in that moment, I was just electrified by how quick these exchanges were, how intricate the grabbing of the holds was, the pace, how unexpected the counters were. It was choreographed to a point, but I never got the impression that they were just aiming for the this is awesome chant after the standoff. Yeah. It just felt real. It felt exhilarating. I couldn't begin to describe or articulate what I was seeing. Um, that, that, um, that like duck and move thing that Leo Rush did to, like, before he hit the, um, the snap hurricane runner. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, what? So after the Profile and um, spotlight Moriarty, Seidel and Dante Martin get their um, exchanges in. And then it's the Leo Rush show for the last however many minutes of this match. And he's outwitting his opponent. He is like reinventing the rope run almost as something that's a strategy. It's not something that you can use to just get an extra bit of velocity on your um, charging strike attacks or whatever. It's something you can use to deceive your opponent. And he deceived me. I had no idea where he was coming, where he was going. If you put yourself in the headspace of the guy who's in the ring when he's doing this, you're thinking, 
I'm going to get attacked from a direction I can't tell. I'm completely vulnerable. At the yeah. same time, you watch this total speedball do these incredible things. And I can't even begin to go move for move on this match. It was just absolutely unreal. There was one sloppy-ish moment in the picture-in-picture break. Uh, but other than that, like Leo Rush, like kicking midair as hard as he can, the express purpose of getting someone to duck then he can just kick them just as quickly on the chin. He's just an absolutely incredible performer. I want to see him every single week. I would take a best of 14 series or 15 series or whatever with this match because I think they've only scratched the surface of what they can do. And of course, Dante, under the guidance of Leo Rush, advancing this storyline, um, hits the moonsault on Moriarty for the win. Yeah, just relentlessly rewarding for all the reasons you've mentioned. Just a terrific... Um, cocaine banger of a pro wrestling match, but a lot better than what that description can often be applied to, a lot better. Um, Lee Moriarty got great shine, as we predicted, like fantastic shine. There was a point at which he got like a a fire-up spot in what turned out to be the middle of the match rather than at the very end because they knew, like the wrestlers themselves and obviously whoever putting this together, that it was extremely important to give Leo Rush and Dante Martin shine to get across this idea, as we kind of talked about, touched on the preview yesterday, just because you can see where this is likely to go, it's very important that Dante Martin doesn't. So if you don't vindicate Leo Rush's bluster, then the angle is something that you're watching being performed rather than something that can feel remotely real. And what a way to do that here. What a what a standout wrestling display from Leo Rush that when, if wrestling was real, him and Dante Martin watched the tape back and there is not a... Um, a shadow of doubt in Dante Martin's mind that he's attached to somebody pretty good for his career here. You know, yeah. there's a moment of doubt, or at least it's reasonable doubt, which is all you ever need in wrestling, reasonable doubt of a baby face, that when this turn or this twist or whatever comes, this idea that, like, Leo Rush will try and get in between top flight, which is a really nasty thing to do to a couple of, you know, family members that you want to worm your way in while the other guy's out. It's like such cool stuff they can do with that that makes a, a nasty piece of work out of Leo Rush. But you've got to do the building block stuff first. And they've done this magnificently. The fact that, like, Seidel has already been discredited and then they have the match where he's on the losing end of, like, you know, Leo Rush and Dante Martin's first time together only makes it better. Um, I, like, it probably didn't sound real at the time. I genuinely wasn't a bad faith actor or a spurned lifer when I argued the toss for NXT being good in 2019. And it just becomes clearer that enough people in AEW agreed with elements of that and they've picked what they believe to be the best bits. The impending potential sign of Keith Lee to be added to the list. But if you look at the work that Adam Cole's doing, the teases with Bobby Fish and the potential of the Undisputed Era, the work of Leo Rush, um, there's only pretty much... I can only think of Poppy singing somebody's entrance and they've pretty much cherry-picked all the best bits of what NXT was genuinely really good at in, uh, in late 2019. Like, we joke a little bit. Triple H must be cursing what he's seeing here. He must be cursing it. We are... I resented NXT in late 2019 because it was an imposition on my time and I just wanted to talk about this like Mm. this. And at the same time, I didn't exactly think it was a particularly great week-to-week episodic TV show for reasons that are on record. Mm. Maybe there were certain things I was harsh on because I couldn't be arsed with it. Yeah, and it wasn't a fair reflection on how good the matches were or whatever. Like Leo Rush woke me up. Mm. I used to get up at 3 a.m. until 7 to watch four hours of wrestling TV before a full day of work. So by the time I get to NXT, I'm thinking, 
getting some sleep here. Whatever. Leo Rush completely washed away that resentment. He yeah. completely woke me up with his incredible work, and his work was incredible here. And it works so, it's so ambitious, the stuff he does. It's so susceptible to a botch, and yet he didn't, which, how perfect is that? Because not only is he this incredibly ambitious, amazing wrestler, he kind of has to be in the parameters of the storyline yeah. to convince Dante Martin. Uh, just absolutely unbelievable. On the subject of unbelievable, the rest of the show was just absolutely elite tier. Um, Miro, and again, this, you know, like the recency bias that we talk about, he made um, David Chase and David, David Simon look like total hacks here. Because <laughs> said, um, in this little 30-second traditional awesome Miro segment that Daniel Bryanson has, uh, Brian Danielson has to say goodbye to his wife so I can say hello to mine. So basically, I'm going to kill you because I'm sick of being on the couch. I don't deserve my wife. Miro will never get a T-shirt because he just doles out lines for every opponent he faces that are as good as Austin 316. Yeah. <laughs> like, he will never get the million-selling T-shirt because you'd have to print one. I mean, I'm saying that. Pro Wrestling T's doing enough for the young bucks. Like, give Miro a T-shirt per feud. Because he's got one of these for everybody he fights. And I don't know how he does it. Like, they are, and they're not, they're never, ever. Um, I can only compare, and we've made this comparison before, actually, and it's funny that where he slotted in. He's the heel John Moxley. He's the heel to John Moxley's AW title ring, in that Moxley finds the perfect measure and the perfect line to succinctly sum up is the feud he's having, the opponent he's got, in ways that me and you on a podcast could only dream of. He nails this. I like going long already here. Ten times out of ten, Miro nails this. And I think he's going to beat Brian. I think he's going to bend Brian Danielson more than Danielson did to uh, Rocky Romero in the Tequila Sunrise. I think Danielson's going back of his head to the back of his heels in the game over on uh, on Saturday. And, like, who can dispute Miro finally getting home to Lana after this? I mean, Hangman, no. Page, Hangman Page is going to be sold to have to fear this. Yes. I mean, it's one of the most unpredictable matches on that card. And it's got a couple as well, which might elevate it like to all out 2021 tier, but that's a different conversation. The conversation we're going to have next is about Pac versus Dax Harwood. I thought this match was tremendous. I think Pac is so great. I don't know how he does it because he performs spectacular moves. Mm. Avalanche, sheer drop, brain busters, dives. Everything that if you just read those names in a recap, you think, oh, it's this kind of match. It just feels like a scrap. Part of that feeling is cultivated when you chop someone so hard that you draw blood from their chest. And not just like the not just the mints that you see over the past however many years with Danielson, Walter's opponents, whatever. Like an actual smattering of blood. Uh, there must have been some kind of freak accident, but it just informed the um, drama of this match, uh, which was a really sharp, technical slug fest that evolved into a bomb festival and again you say these words and it's like sometimes they feel to a penny but you just i just caught up in the the vibe and the atmosphere of this one and my god dax harwood might have a better liger bomb than pack and this is sacrilege but i think pack has got a better liger bomb than the originator like <laughs> liger bomb packs is like the snap on it is incredible dax harwood's like sort of a uh, it's not springboard, but what is it? Like a rebound. Yes. Like, yeah. like I use the phrase millimeter precision when like I coup at those like neck bump spots where oh, it's just about all right so I can like not get scared. Like this is less than a millimeter. 
Yeah. This is unbelievable. The snap on it, and I watched it. I'm thinking, is he broken his neck? No. <laughs> and uh, that was a great, great, great near fall. Um, strikes were exchanged. Uh, back, pack, sorry, count as a backslide to apply for the brutalizer. And I'm thinking when we're doing the preview, well, neither of these guys can lose because they've both got like a decent mid card featured match on the pay per view. Dax Howard kind of doesn't lose. Prick, he does lose, but what a great in-character prick thing this was to do. But he's like, oh, I'm just going to tap out because, you know, I just don't want the injury. Not because I'm a loser or I'm scared, but I can't do the injury. Great finish to, like, a kind of a puzzle of a pair, and I thought that was great. One more thing before I get your thoughts on it. Dax Harwood, if you missed it, is making his entrance. Miserable prick face. <laughs> miserable bastard. It's his character. Um, your mileage might vary on how effective it is on Twitter. I personally find it tiresome, but it's true. It is very true. Um, he makes his entrance, reaches his hands out. like He picks the youngest kid that he can see. And the kid is just struggling to reach his hand. He goes, oh, fuck off. He doesn't even ham it up as like a, the, the heel cackle of a, aha, enjoyed ruining that kid's day. It was just, he just didn't even move his face. It was great. Yeah. It's like he walked away again, jag off. Jag off. Dax has done it again, man, hasn't he? Um, two of, it'll, they, they won't even be underrated, I don't think, because um, people, because it's a, a bit of a collector's item, the Dax Harwood singles match. But this and the Jungle Boy matches are making great arguments for what can you actually do in like, I, I, I don't know, is it dangerous to start willing the breakup of FDR into existence? Possibly, but I just, like, what what can you do longer term? Because you're as good, if not sometimes better, on the heat as a singles wrestler as you are in a tag team. Um, execution, as you pointed out with the Liger Bomb, and other things in this match. You know, he's not isolated to just those big spots. He... Dax Harwood, this predominant tag wrestler, finds himself in like the um, almost like fighting spirit forearm war with a guy like Pac, and it feels earned and it feels real and it feels like you're watching this guy that's been had like a 20 year barrow him up and down the roads run, like because of that's how he looks and that's this persona that he puts across. It does it, it sort of suits who Dax Harwood is almost just as well as the FTR thing. Uh, something that's not really to dig out Cash Wheeler because he offers something different as a singles guy. They're both quite unique in the in the way that what they put for separately. Um, that I'm starting to win. Favorite guy to watch in FTR, and yet I think I prefer Dax singles. Yeah, and it does make you wonder about what these could potentially offer separately. This is fantastic, and the brainbuster just yeah, horrifying in execution. And yet, uh, this is going to sound a bit Jim Cornetti. Um, I used to hate. Um, I used to have a real, uh, like, probably a rubbish take on Ring of Honor because I never watched enough of it to have a more informed one. But I used to get cross with the odd matches I would watch that would go to this well and end in a roll-up. Very, very old, mid-2000s wrestling forum take, I know. But that never once felt like this here. Like, a top-rope brain buster got a two, and I never once didn't believe how the rest of the match played out, and there's an art to that because yeah. it's the sort of stuff that people, like, an AEW, even now, will get criticised for. Uh, and I didn't once at all feel like, well, they've done that. How are we carrying on? Even Omega Ricardo one had that with the top rope snapdragon, yeah. was it? Even that had a, a match. Should that have been the finish? That was like, can you really be kicking out of that and doing more? And I don't think that had that here. I never once felt that the the remainder of the match wasn't earned after the brain buster was kicked out from. And yeah, the quick tap. I, I got a tag match on Sunday, mate. Cough. Like, I got bigger fish to fry than you. I'll take this out. Like, love that. That's brilliant. That's a, that is. That's a reward for heel being a heel. 
It's a reward for the importance of building up your pay-per-view matches, a reward for fans that can't pick the finish as we couldn't, and it rewards people that care about the ranking systems as well. So much to love about that, that conclusion beyond like just the fact that a lot of MMA fans like a quick tap out because that's how submissions actually work. Yeah. And there was loads of love about this. Um, I would describe it more succinctly than I did before as not just a really great wrestling match, but like a fight that happened to have spectacular moves in it. Really, really great. They do the expected angle in the post-match, which draws out uh, Malachi Black, Andrade, uh, the Lucha Bros and Cody making the save. I don't want to talk about it because we're running. <laughs> Can I say I thought it sucked? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. It lights off, lights on stuff. Andrade's got magical powers as well now, has he? Cody was hanging out with the crowd just in case. Well, I did, rubbish, man. Do better. They need to do better. Like the Cody, the framing of Cody. Like, what? Why was he there? Yeah, rubbish. He's, he's he's talks a lot about how he's an EVP, so he should be in Gorilla. Like, it's, yeah. But I think the idea is, if he's like, if you're a wrestling fan, and I'm, I, it's a good point to make. I think, even though we're going long, if you're a wrestling fan and you see a wrestler who on telly you think now I'm getting a bit bored of the act if you see him right next to you it's like oh that's Cody Rhodes yeah so maybe he was trying to be a little bit cheeky and try and drive this I'm just gonna no sell the heel turn gimmick <laughs> a pretty clever strategic way of doing it that when you've pointed it out Hamlet, doesn't make much sense in the parameters of how it's a believable wrestling show mm. you get a video promo on MJF versus Darby Allen I'm sure you and uh, Will Bourne We'll go through the feud and the result and everything um, on the preview. I'll be watching telly eating leftover Chinese food, so I will not be a part of that, I'm afraid. We get to the Kenny Omega Hangman Page contract signing. I'm going to try and be as succinct as possible. Um, otherwise, I will be here all day. Um, Page believes himself to be the winner of this match. It feels like this is the longest chase of his life that he's been on, so he's going to keep it succinct. I'm going to win. He has a contract signed. There's nothing else to say. Your time is now. Now else to say. That's how confident I am. And I love how succinct equals confidence and how cool is it that Hangman Page, after all this time, is confident. Just a lovely bit of economy there for me. Um, Hangman Page doesn't agree. Um, he said that you could have been here well before this. All of this is essentially for you. And I love how that's actually true. They've always thought that page is the one with the most potential. Um, all of this was for you, but unfortunately, as a result of your insecurities and failures, um, you're not really here. You remind me a little bit of myself, except you're the disappointing version, he said um, effectively. He said directly, what a disappointment. Um, page agreed. Yeah, no, we do have similarities and that um, you were once the lesser version of the lesser member of a famous tag team. Brilliant. Great line. Huge pap. You get indirect parallels to, well, hang on. If you're invoking a Bushy's name, do you want me to think that you're going to kick out the one winged angel? Like absolutely <laughs> incredible stuff. And uh, Kenny Omega finishes by saying, when I beat you at full gear last year, I said to you, good job, hanger. This will make, a bit more sense when I've done a little bit of um, investigative work. And uh, Paige wasn't, sorry, I've, my notes are a little bit muddled here because I just want to get to my great insights right there. <laughs> Basically, he repeats the line when he walks out of the ring as a patronizing gesture about what he thinks is going to happen at the end of full gear. Now, throughout this, I'm getting drawn in 
by the words, the tension. The way that um, Paige escalated his cadence is great as well. Very soft-spoken at the start, and that's the way he talks naturally. But when he fired up, it just made it all the more better. So I'm drawn into the words, I think. Kenny Omega, I like wacky, cartoonish villain Kenny Omega. A lot of people don't. I think those people realistically couldn't criticize this because this was the most straight-laced, at the perfect time, mind you, that Kenny Omega's been on AEW television um, for some time. And throughout all of this, I'm thinking, this is great. What are they doing with the production? Get that camera operator out of the bloody frame. This is, come on. Mm. It kind of works. This is not a generous take because I don't believe it. But sometimes the production in AEW is not perfect. So this is a serendipitous, I can take this seriously because your production's not amazing almost all of the time. So this camera operator will knock it out with Sean. I'm thinking, oh, for Christ's sake. It is, of course, revealed after Kenny Omega patronizingly says to Hangman Page, let's just kill it at the pay-per-view. The implication being, you can have a great match, but I'm still going to win because I'm Kenny Omega. What a patronizing, condescending arsehole. <sighs> Sorry, there's just so much going on here that I'm going to be all over the place. Before I get to the brilliance of the reveal, there was a great line that Omega had earlier where he said, it's great to be in front of these... <laughs> Great fans. Just a little ellipsis was phenomenal. <laughs> but anyway, back to the com- camera operator bit. It is revealed the brand new, pathetically great goatee to be Don Callis. And the reason why you can see the cam- camera operator in shot the entire time is <laughs> because he's not even a real camera operator. <laughs> it's just someone disguised as a camera operator. How perfect is it as a detail that He's not just instantly a great camera operator who knows exactly where to be for the ruse. This is Kenny Omega stuff, and this is what I love him for. This is an absolutely ingenious, ingenious touch that, of course, the camera operator, being Don Callis, isn't great at his job. Because <laughs> it's not even his job. So this is absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. On the subject of phenomenal, when Kenny Omega says, I said to you, good job, Hanger, not only is that patronizing enough, the good job bit, which builds the... which captures the whole storyline and the crux of it. Hanger. He's never once been called Hanger. Yeah. Right? On AEW television. It's a play on words of Hanger on. And that's preying on his insecurities because dating back to 2019, Hangman Page has always felt like a Hanger on. I love that detail. After this promo, which ends with the blood smearing on the contract when the ruse has been revealed and Page has been outnumbered. I went back and watched Full Gear 2020, the opening match, or at least the closing stretch of it. And sure as hell, a beaten Hangman Page is staring glassy-eyed on the canvas, and he's filmed in, like, the God shot where you can see his face in the canvas. He rolls his eyes, not at the back of his head like he's dazed, but, like, he just rolls them upwards because he can sense someone looking at him. The camera peels back. Full gear, November 2020, Kenny Omega's there, puts his arm on Hangman Page's arm, and Hamlet, what does he say? He says, is it good job, Hanger? You don't actually hear it, but that's pretty much what he said. They've put that detail in November 2020, knowing that they are going to do something with it a calendar year later. And even if it was going to be all out, that's still like long-term storytelling. That's still incredible long-term storytelling. I was delighted by this. Absolutely delighted. Because I haven't, because of the whole thing with Hangman Page coming back 
and you want the live experience version of Hangman Page, not these details. You got both here, and it was just tremendous. There is an argument, for the longest time, and I know you were a big proponent of this, about um, All Out was very integral to the um, Hangman Page story and the, the big climactic moment. And obviously, you're being sold on it being full gear, and it's very easy to just slot into being like, actually, this was a full gear story all along. I keep going back to full gear not being about cogs, but being about Hangman Page being fat. Like, yes, full gear existed because Pack called Hangman. Well, Pack suggested he was fat, and Billy Gunn called him fat. Hey, you're fat. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it was called full gear. And then they were just like cogs, cogs stuff, because they couldn't do the pack match or whatever it was. And uh, yeah, full gear is suddenly feeling as tied to the Hangman Page story as All Out ever was. And for you to then draw on this, and for Kenny to draw on this, I think um, only only tightens that ahead of the show itself. This was all really great. Of course, it was brilliant. Of course, neither of us got anywhere near this being the outcome. Um, and something else I love, and this is a... if Look, if we credit Kenny Omega with thinking of all these details, you're allowed to then think, oh, well, did he think of this detail too? And the answer is yes, he probably did. Kenny Omega hatches this plan with Don Callis. Don Callis calls it a plan on air. The smartest thing the devil did was showing you they didn't exist, all that sort of stuff. They are acknowledging that this was a plan for this moment. Don Callis, they've made you forget about him in order to be able to utilize him as an, in an ambush, right? Extrapolate that further. They have thought to do this plan, not for the match, but for the contract signing. That's how seriously Kenny Omega doesn't take Hangman Page. This plan has worked. And rather than them think, hang on, is this working so well that we should do this at the pay-per-view? Kenny's like, ah, I've got him beat at the pay-per-view. Ah, we'll do it at the contract signing just to stick it in his face. Like, I, I don't want to use this plan to keep my title. I want to do it to slap him in the face with my cock. Yeah. So we're going to do it in a contract signing. I love that. He's He had something, and he's given it away because he thinks that the match is a done deal. And I love that about the character as well. Right up to this point, and he still thinks the match is a done deal. He's not under threat. I can't wait for this. I'm not doing the preview. I'm going to eat leftover Chinese food double pap because I'm going to get uh, a day's worth. I've got the day <laughs> tomorrow. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. Double pap. So I'm going to pitch a spot that I can't do tomorrow because I'm not in before we close this out. If Carlos is going to be in the match, and I don't necessarily think he should be because I think it should be kept totally pure. Hangman Page gets pissed off with him. Boots him off the apron with the buckshot lariat, but his distraction is always just a ruse. Kenny Omega instantly smash one-winged angel, then do the kick out. If you can get the almost year-long physical comeuppance of Don Callis, seconds later, you get the one-winged angel kick out, and between those seconds, you get the anxiety of, oh my God, Paige hasn't actually won this. You might get the loudest five seconds in North American pro wrestling history. That's just what I would do. I'd make it loud. I would make it loud. <laughs> what would you do? You can let us know at what culture WWE whilst you're there. You can follow Michael Hamflet at Michael Hamflet. You can follow me at M Cedric once again. Uh, you can follow us all at what culture WWE. Uh, Willborn and Hamflet will be back tomorrow to preview this card. I wish I was coming in for it, but at the same time, I love a salt and pepper king prawn, so I will not be we're, doing we're, it. We'll just swap if you want, mate. We'll swap. Like let's just put it out there on the podcast now. We'll trade lives for half an hour if you want. Nope, we'll see you. <laughs> 
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.